0: Why did you choose the school you went to? The coach was probably a component of that, right? You wanted to work for, or play for, excuse me, a particular coach because you liked the way that they ran their team, or that they, the, you liked how much they cared about you as a person, or whatever it was. Try to find that same thing in a job.
1: This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Katie Grimm. Katie played D1 lacrosse at Virginia Tech before starting her sales career. Today, she is the VP of sales at S2N Health, a software company for medical technology innovation. Here she is, Katie Grimm. I'm JR Butler, co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? Today on the show, we've got Katie Grimm. Katie, thank you so much for joining.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: I'm really excited for the conversation. So a little quick background. Um, We started the show uh, a couple years ago. Um, and our the audience we've really been focused on are folks that are you know transitioning into sales, considering a transition into sales or recently um, have started a sales career. And we've all our guests are former athletes or or people who served in the military that have kind of gone on and, and had success uh, in their own sales career after their transition and, and it'll obviously, Aligns pretty clearly with with Shift Group's mission. Uh, we help former elite athletes and, and military veterans uh, become sales pros. So, the way we like to kind of structure the conversation, we we talk a little bit about your your sports career, talk about your own transition, and then we we get into um, we get into some some nuggets for you know the audience that that wants to learn some tips and tricks and strategies around sales so that that's kind of the plan does that work for you yeah let's do it all right awesome awesome um, so I believe you you are a lacrosse player um, and I, I'd love to ask a very broad question because uh, it's a it's a thought-provoking question what do you if I were to just say hey tell me your favorite memories from your lacrosse career where does your where does your mind drift off to
0: <clears throat> yeah I mean I think for me it's my teammates. I'm still best friends with all my teammates that I um, played with in college. And so that's probably the best. I mean, I think if you had to put a, on the field memory, um, <clears throat> I scored two goals in the first game I ever started in college. So like that was very exciting. Um, but I think long-term memory is just is the, the relationships you make in sports and stuff.
1: Totally totally I, I my my immediate like vision in my head is like literally it's either the the locker room, the weight room yeah or like literally just like sitting in the cafeteria together and, and yeah. eating you know what I mean
0: yeah, and like living together and living with teammates and yeah it's just it's the best can't be beat yeah. I think
1: no no it definitely can't be how uh how would your college teammates describe you?
0: <clears throat> probably as very competitive type a person. <laughs> um, but I also, you know, like to have a good time. And so there was always a fun balance of like, this is a game at the end of the day. Um, but I think very competitive, it would probably be yeah. the, the biggest one competitive goof maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm assuming that competitive nature has stayed with you, uh, in life yeah. after sports.
0: I think so. (laughs) Um, Definitely my career. But then yes, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to lose that. But I also think as I've aged, I've realized I'm no longer the athlete I once was. So I have to curb my competitiveness to things that more fit in my wheelhouse today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can relate to that for sure. Especially I've got like, nephews that are getting older now. And I'm like, this isn't as easy to beat them as yeah, it should
0: be. Exactly. That's you're like, wow, I'm not able to do the things I used to do. So instead, I'll just be competitive over board games or stupid stuff like that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you're you're playing at Virginia Tech. Um, was how, when did sales get on your radar? Were there other like other careers that you explored?
0: Um, now that I explored, um, I wanted to be a sports agent. That's what I wanted to do um, until I realized I really didn't want to go to law school, and I probably really wasn't. Like in my mind, I wanted to be a sports agent, but none of my actual like work <laughs> went towards anything with that. So when sales came on my radar, was kind of I was getting closer to graduation and realizing, oh, I, I can't just go be a sports agent. Um, and I need to have a job. And I had some friends who were working at a company that was needing salespeople um, up in the DC area. And it was a company that heavily recruited at our school and I thought I could probably do sales. And what I knew of sales was I'm competitive and I like to talk, yay, like perfect job fit. Um, Much more to it, I've come to learn, but that's how I sort of walked into it, at least initially.
1: I I feel like it it all like, you know, before I started shift group, when I, as I was talking to all my friends that I played, played, you know, hockey, baseball and football with that were in sales. And I asked them like, how did you, how did you land in the, in the space? It's always like they kind of tripped and fell into it. Mm -hmm. And there was always a conversation at some point where it was like, well, you're good with people and you're competitive. So that's why you should do sales, which I think is like kind of a generic broad, um, Uh, like understanding of what sales really is. So it sounds like you had similar conversations.
0: Yeah, I did. Um, I think it's so interesting too. I I tell kids when people say, oh, I don't know if I wanna get into sales or different things or, well, I've never done sales before. Well, very few people have coming out of college, right? There's, There's now starting to be sales degrees and sales majors or minors, which I think is awesome, but that didn't exist when I'm assuming you and I came out of school. So no one's going to college for sales. Um, you were going for communication or business or marketing or all these other different things. And then kind of fell into it. Like you said, Um, I think it's great that they're now preparing kids more to understand like what sales actually is. Um, But yes, that's, that's kind of how I stumbled into it for sure.
1: Yeah. I think so for me, when, when I, when I first got into it, I, I had the unique experience where my dad, my dad was a used auto part salesperson right so like yeah. and I, I i would go into his office when i was little like when i was like 10 years old so like 93 94 and i would hear him on the phone and it was like someone would call in for like you know hey i, I got a, a 91 civic i need a new transmission and my and i hear my dad being like all right that's going to be this much money like you know we need you to sign in order for for us to to get it ready for you blah 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 And then he would hang up the phone. And he would call like another junkyard and be like, Hey, do you have a 91 civic transmission? Like, I'm willing to pay 50 bucks for it. And I would say like, Dad, you told that guy it was $450. He'd be like, shut up, JR. Let me do my job. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's kind of like, so when I thought of a salesperson, that's what I thought sales was. And then I think what I have started to understand a little bit more now in 2023 is that same guy could call a junkyard now, and he would actually call with more information than my dad had, right? Like, so now sales isn't really like high pressure tactics, lying and pushing products. It's, it's really more ushering your buyer to understand the information that's available and relate it to the problems that they have. Do you, do you think that's where the gap is in like what people think sales is and, and what it actually is?
0: Absolutely. I know when I talk to people who are contemplating sales or I meet someone, I'm like, you should be in sales. I try and tell them, they're like, oh, I don't want to pressure people. I don't want to, you know, um, I I don't want to have to push people to do things they don't want to do. And I think that's the misconception. It's like, no, no, salespeople don't push you to. No one does something against their will when they're buying software. Right. Like, I I mean, that's what I sell, right? Like software sales. You don't do anything against your will. But what you can do is help people understand that there's actually something that the software could improve for them or do differently. But it's interesting you cite your dad from 1993, right? And I think that, yes, there's big differences in how we sell. Buyers are more educated, but even from when I started, like, um, which wasn't in 1993, even though I feel like it sometimes, um, I think it's really changed even in just the last five years, people are just buying differently. I mean, every article you read will tell you that they're a much more educated buyer. But some of the fundamentals to me haven't changed, right? Like your dad was probably listening. What did they need? What car were they looking for? He knew who to call and which junkyards to then follow up with to get the best price to make his best margins. Like that stuff I think still exists where you have to listen, you have to be likable. And otherwise they'll have a self-checkout model on their website for their software, right? So I think that Some of those things still apply. You just have to figure out how to adjust it to the person's probably going to say, I know I need a catalytic converter, which I don't even know if that's a car part, right? Like, (laughs) I know I need this rather than my car's going, right? Because they've researched it. And so I think that's what, when I talk to my reps or talk to people, I'm like, it's different. It's, you got to listen and understand what could we maybe help you do? How can we help your car run more smoothly? And then when you get them to go, oh yeah, I do want that. That's when you go okay great i'll call you back and then you call a junkyard and try and get them, yeah. right yeah. so it's just a different mode but i do think that like the fundamentals of what makes good salespeople probably still exists
1: i think so too and i think like even with an educated buyer um you still have to you still have to handle rejection like people yeah. still say no just as much as they used to maybe even maybe even more than they used to because they're educated. So, I think that that like ability to be resilient um and like thinking of your own career, you went into leadership pretty quickly and we always talk about this idea of coachability.
0: Yeah.
1: So, when you when you got into like sales development and coaching, what did you like? What did you not like about that role? <clears throat> um
0: what I what i liked about it is that especially in sales just like in sports like if you get someone who's coachable and you give them the right tools you can see change really quickly and help someone win really quickly that's fun to me i think what i didn't like about it is so often what i was doing was seen as like monday morning quarterbacking right like i'm not the one who's having to talk on the sales call i just get to be the one who shadows it and then tells the rep all the things that they did wrong right like That's hard. So I think over my career, I learned a lot more how to not make it feel like Monday morning quarterbacking and how to get the rep to sort of like recognize on their own different things they could have done. But that was hard for me, I think, at least initially, because having been an athlete, there's nothing worse than when a coach is telling you to do something and you're like, you can't even do that. Like, (laughs) you know, like you don't know what you're you. You're telling me to go do it, but you could never do it. And that's really, I think, one of the things that I had to recognize is like, I didn't like that as an athlete. I didn't like it as a salesperson. I need to make sure I don't coach that same way um, yeah. or manage that same way.
1: Yeah. I, I always, um, I, my father was a, a high school hockey coach growing up. And like, so that, like, I think the coaching background in general helps as a sales leader. Like if if you've been around coaches or you've coached yourself. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm curious to get your take. Do you think... That somebody that isn't naturally coachable can become coachable
0: um yeah i think so i think it's harder i mean behavior, yeah. that's behavioral change right behavior change is one of the hardest things to do um so definitely when you're hiring i feel like i look for people who it's it's not going to be that uphill battle because so often in sales you don't have the time Um, but if I was a person who said, I'm not very coachable, but I want to be more coachable, I think absolutely they could.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think what you're in that situation, you're kind of looking for that self-awareness because if you don't have the self-awareness to realize that you don't take feedback well, then you're probably never going to learn how to take feedback well.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think transitioning from an athlete to a career in sales though, like it sometimes forces people to be a little more coachable because in athletics, your physical abilities can cope or uh, mask maybe a lack of skill. Hello, that was me. Like I wasn't the best, I was not the best skilled lacrosse player, but I could run and I was athletic. And so I leaned into that, but if someone was like, oh, this very finesse particular piece of lacrosse, like that was not my strength. And so. I either had to recognize that and fix it or not be good. Um, and I think in in a career, you don't have a physical ability to fall back on. So you have to figure out a way to take feedback and say, okay, let me try this differently because you can't just go like run faster to a prospect's house, <laughs> like that doesn't happen. Um, and so <laughs> it's just, you have to find a different way to- yeah flex that those muscles, I guess. Um, yeah, but I think it does challenge especially athletes to adjust their way of thinking because any competitive if you had a physical competitive edge that doesn't exist in the real world. And so yeah. you have to figure out how to take that competition and make it more about your brain.
1: Totally, totally. What, what is your strategy to figure out if a, a candidate is coachable? Like what do you do? What are you doing in the interview process to figure that out?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're asking them about feedback they've received. That's probably my go-to thing in interviews. Um, if they can't yeah. think of something, then that's probably a red flag. Um, but also I wanna hear about like your challenges um, when I'm interviewing, because if you're an athlete and you get to a certain level, maybe a poor assumption on my part, cause you know what they say about assuming, like I just assume you're coachable to some degree. But I want to also hear that you had challenges in your athletic career, just, you know, whether it's you got benched, like you I want to hear your Michael Jordan story, right? I want to hear what you got cut from eighth grade AAU basketball. I still remember it, right? Like I wasn't good at basketball. I don't know why I thought I could play AAU basketball, but I got cut and that stuck with me. And then I wasn't going to get cut after that. So like, I want to hear those stories because to me, that shows me the grit and then the fact that you then worked through something probably means you can be coached
1: Yeah. or multiple sports too.
0: That's another one. I mean, I know you mentioned you played football, baseball and hockey. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Like multiple sports to me, I think is a big one too, because you don't naturally be good at multiple sports. You have to listen to someone who tells you how to adjust your skills. Um, So to me, that's another really good indicator of coachability.
1: Yeah, one of the uh, one of the tricks or strategies I would use with entry level people that didn't have the athletic background, but like checked checked a lot of the other boxes, is we'd usually do like an assignment during the interview, like a cold call or a discovery call. Yeah, and then we'd purpose I'd purposely give them feedback, like, hey, you need to do this better. You need to do more of this. You need to kind of change this this around a little bit run it again and see if they actually took what I, what I coached them on and instituted it. You know what yeah. I mean?
0: Well, I think, and you're hitting on something, I think that's even further down like the set line, which is ability to apply feedback. That's right? a good point. There's a yeah. lot of people who are coachable and still can't apply it. Um, yeah. So I think that's an even greater way to do it. Um, to truly assess yeah. ability to apply feedback.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I think I was a coachable hockey player, but my ability to apply it was, there was a little bit of a gap there. Same, same.
0: Yeah, <laughs> not hockey, but yeah. I think though that's another thing. I mean, not if, if someone's looking for a job, I love nothing more than if you do a role play or a pitch or whatever, they come back and say, I'd love feedback. Like, what could I have done differently there? Any suggestions on something I could change? Because it shows that not only are they going to receive it when they get it, but they're seeking it out. They're seeking out, improving themselves um so even if it's a crock like just ask the question (laughs) even if you fundamentally disagree with everything they tell you ask the question
1: still 100 percent um so you mentioned that you, you you are like pushing people that you meet to sales if like a senior from virginia tech called you um and they were like hey i'm thinking about sales what would you what would you how did what does that conversation typically look like for you
0: yeah i think it's understanding why like what what about sales appeals to you what are you interested in i also think there's a lot of flavors of sales and so it's what do you like what are what things are important to you um you know what kind of work-life balance do you want what are your career goals and aspirations Understanding those things, and I was lucky enough to have parents that were willing to kind of do that reflection with me coming out of college and like, what are you trying to do? What do you want? What are you good at today? What are you maybe things that you need to work on um, to help me figure out what career in sales was right? Um, I needed to be in an office. I needed to be in a group setting. I needed an entry level job. Like those were all things that I figured out for myself were important. Um, I wanted a really good work-life balance. I wanted to turn off at 5 o'clock and walk out because I had a lot socially going on that I wanted to be doing and traveling and long-distance relationships and things like that. And so that was important to me. But I had friends who went into medical device sales because they wanted money. They wanted money yesterday. And so that was a really good way for them to to do that. But they were constantly on the road. They were traveling. They were working 24 hours a day, right? They were on call and... I didn't want prospects having my cell phone number, right? Like that was just for me. I didn't want that. They, that was, they lived. They were texting their prospects constantly or their doctors. So to me, that was a long way of saying, like, I would ask the person, what are you looking for? What, you know, do you want to make a lot of money really fast? Do you want career growth super quick? Do you want a good support onboarding? Do you want to work in an office, right? Like all these things will tell you company size, type of industry, um what to look for when you're looking for jobs like all of that so it's not really a piece of advice so much as what do you want and it doesn't have to be like i want to work in this job it's like what's important to you as a person what do you like doing, and figuring out what role then fits to that
1: yeah yeah it's it the the I agree with you by the way a thousand percent. The hard part about doing that, and I'm sure you can put yourself back in your 22 year old, 23 year old shoes. Yeah. Like, there there is like a a pretty decent gap on like your self awareness at that point. Yeah. Which we've we've tried to institute like some self discovery exercises into our process because I do think. It, it all starts there, right? People always ask JR, "What's better, a big company or a small company? Remote or in office?" That one, I, I kind of have a, a much stronger feeling yeah. about. Yeah. Um, or you know, med device or tech, and I'm like, neither one is better or worse. Um, it's up to it's it's really based on the person you are and what you value. Like you like yep. you said, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Um,
0: and that's why I think that self discovery is so important, and where I think also mentors come in, whether you know, you can reach out to a random person on LinkedIn, like someone who's going to ask you those questions. It's not my job to tell you what your best sales job is or your career, but I could offer you all kinds of questions that make you kind of go, oh, you're right. I do really just want to be a top dog. Okay. Well then these might be the right places for you to go. I really just want to make sure I learn and am supported. Okay. Then maybe there's you know, maybe look for jobs in this realm. Like it's just figuring that out. So that's what I think what what y'all are doing with the way you're helping people in general start to consider a sales career is so critical because otherwise you get people who are a mismatch and then they think it's sales and it's like no there's like a million different flavors of sales you just got to figure out which one it fits what you like or your personality or whatever it is
1: so many people skipping that self-discovery step is why the attrition rate for entry-level sales is 40%. Yeah. It's because they they never should have been there in the first place,
0: Agreed. right? Yeah. Yeah. And they need people yeah. who are going to tell them that, right? It goes back to athletics. It goes back to what I feel like is just the reality of the world. Maybe cut that out, but like it's <laughs> that you have to go back to what are you good at? And is this something that's going to be good for you? And someone to say, maybe this isn't the right fit for you. If you don't like pressure and you just want to get your job done, then maybe sales isn't right for you. It may be there's a sales support role or a marketing role or something that could be different or a PR role or something, but there are things that are just fundamental to sales though too. Um, that if that doesn't jive with you, then it might not be the right option, even mm-hmm. if you like money.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, and, and I do like, I do think there is a little bit, there is a little bit of like being driven financially is kind of an important aspect of choosing sales Yeah, in general, because I always tell people sales is the worst career in the world. If you're okay with a mediocre salary, like don't do sales. if If you're not driving to like, maximize your earning potential.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think so. But I think it goes back to like, why does that, what what excites you, right? Like, cause I've I've had reps that maybe were not like cash was not the number one thing, but they still wanted to be recognized like as I am the best, but they were actually more motivated by being called out in like a sales and marketing kickoff as a top sales rep than they were necessarily having the largest W2. Um, Yeah, but at the end of the day, yes, I agree. Like there has to be some component of you get excited about the kill and closing a deal and making money on it. That has to exist.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Scoreboard that, that, that love of the scoreboard is, is critical. Um, what are you advising these, what would you advise a senior on? Like the characteristics of like a good first company, like beyond like, Obviously, they understand their values and you know choose the right the right industry, the right type of you know company setup. but like what are what are some of the characteristics outside of those like tactical things that a company that like that first role has in it? do you think
0: yeah i i I understand you and I are on the same wavelength of like I think being in an office for a first job, regardless of whether it's a sales job or anything else, I think is really important, but I also recognize that I'm old. <laughs> And like, maybe people don't think that way anymore. So I'm, you know, I wouldn't die on the sword for that one, but I do think it can make a really big difference in your ability to succeed in a first job. Um, I think additionally, I would look for, and I would recommend a senior look for, what is the onboarding like? What is the support like? Right? So again, I'll speak to athletes here, right? Why did you choose the school you went to? The coach was probably a component of that, right? Like, Um, you wanted to work for, or play for, excuse me, a particular coach because you liked the way that they ran their team or that they, the, you liked how much they cared about you as a person or whatever it was. Try to find that same thing in a job, right? Like how does the interview process go? Do you like the hiring managers you're talking to? Are you liking the team of people, um, It's the same right your manager is essentially going to be your coach you'll be lucky if you get a good one but if you get a bad one try and learn something from them just like in sports but like look for that and understanding that they're hiring people straight out of school i think is really important too so i was very very lucky like my first job out of college they had an entire onboarding university type concept that we were in for six or seven weeks and there was a class of us 20 or so people we learned from each other. We learned together. We were immediately bonded as a group because of it. And as much as it was annoying to sit in a classroom after you graduated college for six weeks, like I think it was critical to learn some things that then allowed us to go and be effective quickly on the phones. I don't think I would have personally done well at an organization that day one was like, great, here's a phone, here's a list, start calling. I'd be like, well, what do I even say? So <laughs> I would say that unless you have some experience selling Cutco knives or something in college and you've already done the sales thing, like I would say finding something that has a good onboarding process and good leaders that you could see as mentors or coaches would be important.
1: Yeah, it's, it's um, because if, you know, the way we advise the, the kids that come through our program, when they're looking at multiple companies on the leadership thing, it's like, it's hard to know what a good leader looks like. So the, the, the like swing thought that I give Uh, advice on is, is it somebody that you admire that you want to emulate someday? Right. Um, That's like, that's like a feeling that you can tell if you have or not. And that's usually a pretty good indicator if this is going to be somebody that you can go work for, for at least like 18 to 24 months in your first role.
0: Yes. I, I agree completely. Like, does the person put you at ease? Um, And I think if, look, nerves is good. Pregame jitters is good. It's okay. But First of all, don't, don't go into sales if, like, every time picking up the phone or talking to someone gets you nervous, you're going to give yourself heartburn, right? Like, so I wouldn't do that. But do you feel at ease talking to that manager? It's okay to feel nervous because they, you know, hold your career in their future or in their hands, right? But you want to feel like you could talk to that person, um, that they make you feel comfortable like those would be the things i would be looking for if you feel like the conversation's awkward or that they are just drilling you and don't care about you as a person like maybe that's not for you i don't know We make that tough one
1: yeah that that's really good advice um now austin mentioned that you um you know we, we talked a little bit about this we talked about resiliency and i think like part of part of signing up for a sales career is that you're going to fail a bunch. Um, and I, and I think you have some kind of thoughts and, and experiences around that, like expected failure that you're going, you're going to get into. You want to talk about yeah. that a little bit?
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think no one wants to lose. I think if you, I, I was asked in it, in my first job interview, actually, they said, do you, do you prefer to, or would you rather win? Or what is it? Do you hate, Do you hate to lose or love to win? That's what it was. Which do you do? Do you feel more strongly about? I was like, I hate to lose. I don't want to lose. Nobody likes losing. If you, if you do, like I think you're a weirdo personally, (laughs) but at the end of the day, you have to figure out when it's okay to lose. And um, anyone who's ever worked for me has heard me say like a a healthy pipeline contains closed lost. Like there's no way you close hundred percent of deals. And if any organization, Fred Flag, tells you that you are going to close hundred percent of your deals, run as fast as you can the other direction because I would say they're full of it. Like that's just not real. Um, so I think finding a way to be comfortable in loss and is something that athletes do struggle with because you're so competitive and you just want to hold on. You're like, no, no, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep working at this until I get it right. And figuring out and recognizing that there's essentially a time and place to say, nope, this is just a deal that I'm going to walk away from. Or this, this customer telling me no has nothing to do with me personally, they just don't want my product. Like figuring out a way to, to work through all that I think is really important. Otherwise, you're either going to have a terrible pipeline management, which when you get into sales is important part of what you're doing too. Um, or it's just going to break you. And you have to figure out a way to be okay with that.
1: Yeah. Totally. I I've always recognized when I was a VP of Sales and a CRO, like I always recognized that a, a uh, one of my reps was turning the corner when they went from like happy years, like you know forecasting oh, a de- yeah, forecasting a deal for like three quarters in a row, versus like killing a deal like really early on in the process, being and telling me like even if it was a big account like JR, they're not. They're not qualified. They don't see the pain. Like they're just not going to buy. And, and I, I was like, good. Like, I love that you got to know quick. That's yeah. exactly what a great salesperson does, right?
0: Yes. Exactly. Fail fast. And then the ones that have any possibility to be real, be good and close it. Yeah. <laughs> like it's easier said than done, but yes, I totally agree. Like figure it out and get it out of there and move on to the next thing that potentially could happen versus continuing to just beat a dead horse like
1: yeah yeah i mean at the end of the day time's the only resource you can't create more of so you know any time you're spending on an unqualified opportunity so you can talk about it in a qbr is wasted time
0: yes yes
1: um one thing before we kind of I want to talk a little bit about med tech because it's a new, it's a newer space for us and our audience. But um, one thing that uh, I, I heard was you had an opportunity to go to like a, a company as like a kind of a bigger role. I think it was ADP, and yeah. you ended up saying, "You know what? I'm going to go take this job with lower pay." Can you talk about like your thought process on making that decision? Because we have we have literally athletes and veterans that are kind of faced with that same decision literally on a weekly basis?
0: Yeah, yeah. First of all, I think it's a great challenge for your candidates to have, right? Like to have multiple offers. I think it goes back to again, what is going to work for each individual person for me um the job was yeah i had an opportunity to go work at adp where i would be going into an office building i did a ride-along which if you have an opportunity i think to do that take it if you can shadow a rep or do anything like that in any career i think it's phenomenal um so i'm very lucky that i got that because of course you know my parents like they knew adp that's the job they wanted me (laughs) to take it was like who is this other software company i've never heard of but so I had this chance to go and shadow a rep um, as a final part of the interview process, and we went into an office building, and he, we got on the elevator, and he literally hit the top floor—I think it was the eighth floor or something—and he said, "Great, here's where we start." And I'm like, "Okay." And we went up, and the elevator doors open, and we just walked into the first office, and he started talking to the lady at the front desk. There was nothing there. We then walked out. We walked down the hall. We went into the next office, and we did that for almost three hours and we just went floor by floor into every single place. And he got some good opportunities. A few, he'd already talked to other, you know, practices related to them. So it was interesting and it was really kind of neat, but I went home that day and I'm like, Oh no, like I am not going into a building and walking into a random office all day, every day by myself. Right. And then we got in the car at one point, and he called his manager and he told him about a situation. And then we just drove to the next building. And I thought, that's just not for me i'm not going to be successful in that um again i was a team sports person i like people i want to be around people and i like talking but i like talking because i'm having fun with it not because i just want to go into an office all day so for me that was kind of interesting and then looking at the other job where i'd be starting with a group of people i'd be in an office a bunch of cubes i was shadowing as a part of that interview process and While you're sitting at a desk shadowing a rep who's making phone calls, you hear the person behind them like laughing and someone going, wait, what do you do? And then you see another person like putting golf while they're on the phone. And I'm like, this is what I want. I want to be in an atmosphere like this Um, that has camaraderie. And, you know, you have people come over and go, hey, wait, I don't remember how to make this proposal. And someone came over to the computer and helped them do it. Right. Like that's what I knew I would need. And so ultimately I said, look, I know this job has more upward trajectory, it's a bigger company, the pay is better, but this is going to better suit me for how I'm going to learn and ultimately led to where I am today, because I learned fundamentals, I networked with a ton of people, the company grew super fast, that was luck on my part. But um, yeah, it was just that was why I made that choice, because I knew I wasn't going to be successful or like it, I shouldn't say successful. I probably could have been successful, but I wouldn't have liked what I was doing as much um, yeah. if I was alone in a car all day. But for some people that freedom was what they want. So I think it's just looking at like, again, what is exciting to you and, and figuring yeah. out there.
1: Absolutely. Um, now what we're seeing a lot, you talked about some of your friends that did this and I had a lot of friends that went down the med device route. Cause like from like a comp perspective, the the initial role or two is, is a little bit higher than the, the, the industry we, me and you grew up in in tech, Mm. but what, what, what is we're seeing a lot of is like these guys and girls who spend their twenties, you know, maybe they're single you know, they they don't mind like being on call, they don't mind going into a, an OR, OR or to a doctor's office every day. And then they start building families, they start like wanting a little bit more of that, like weekend time back and that, yeah. that that car time. So now they're like, hey, I want to get into tech. And, and what we're realizing is, we can move them kind of a little bit more parallel from a role perspective, if we get into more med tech companies, but you know, it's it's we're just kind of getting started. So med tech is a new space for us. Can you kind of break down med tech a little bit for our audience?
0: Oh, I wish I'm also new into med tech, <laughs> so I'm happy to try. Um, but I was just in general like software sales. The company I was with before was in compliance and regulatory space, so mm-hmm. highly regulated industries and things like that, which med tech is. But um, MedTech is also new for me. Um, so you know, from what I've learned already, it's a really good space and there's different avenues and different channels. Um, but I don't know that I would be the best person to probably speak to like all the different facets. Yeah.
1: yeah. Are is your is your company now selling to hospitals or to uh like medical medical device companies? Like who's your who's your buyer?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, it's really interesting. One of the reasons that I was so attracted to my current job is because as a salesperson, the minute I saw it, I got it. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I don't need to have sold medical devices to understand why something like this would help. So what our product does is it's basically a data set and some AI layered on to help understand like what hospitals or physicians are doing in terms of volume and procedures and different things. So that if I'm a medical device sales rep, I can say this is a good target for me or this is not right. So going back to any sales, the best thing you can do is figure out who is the best target and how do I know if this person has the pain that I can solve? Right. And so if a doctor is doing a certain volume of procedures, I'm probably likely to say, well, if they're doing that many, They'd probably be a good fit for my product. Or if they're doing this few, they'd probably be a good fit for our specific thing or whatever it is. So that's what attracted me to this role yeah. um, was the very clear alignment on if you get this to salespeople who understand the value of data, they're going to go, oh, this is great. Um, yeah. So that's, that's our buyer is kind of anyone from a CRO down to a 100%.
1: So you're 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 really you're really targeting um like our our, our customer we we work with striker and, and we have we're yeah. talking to smith and nephew so you're talking you're targeting those types of companies yeah got it got it that's awesome so um, well
0: those which are huge right those which are yeah. global all the way down to i have one salesperson i need to figure out who the top 10 doctors to put this rep in front of is. And I need that data because I only have one person. I can't send them. I can't send 50 people to 50 hospitals. Like I need to know in my area who are the top people so I can be very specific. So it's a very wide range of who we serve, but yes, those types of global organizations as well.
1: Very cool. That's awesome. Um, Well, Katie, this, we have two, I have two final questions I asked every guest um, and I appreciate your time. So the first one is, And it's, we're looking for a a snippet for our audience here, which are, you know, guys and girls like you and I, you know, I won't say how long ago, um, that are like potentially thinking about this career. What do you want to tell them about why you love, why you love your sales career?
0: Um, I've I've watched a few of your podcasts and different things. And so I'm going to sound like a broken record if anyone is like subscribed and listens to you, but it's the same thing, right? Which is you have control. I, and I I personally really like that. Like the harder you work, the more money you can make. And if you decide there's a month that you just don't want to work hard, you'll just make less money. Right. Depending on the organization, don't get yourself fired, but you know what I mean? Like there's, you have full control over that. And so I think that that has always been very appealing to me and, is what I tell people, like the harder you're willing to work, the more you can make of it. Um, and I think ultimately, like, it's fun. Like it's yeah. fun. It's different. You talk to different people. You, you can feel like you win, right? Like you're never going to win analyzing a spreadsheet, right? Yeah. Like, or maybe you will. I don't know. Maybe some people think that's a win. But like when someone, when I convince someone that something I have is going to help them and then they buy it, to me, I feel like I won, <laughs> So I don't know. That, that to me is such an appealing part of sales.
1: Yeah. And, and by the way, like quick side note, I always use the spreadsheet example when I'm talking about this, like literally the same thing you said. Oh,
0: really?
1: Yeah. But last night I was scrolling on Instagram and I saw a clip from the Excel world championship. (laughs) You have
0: to, you have
1: to Google this. It is the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's like literally an, these two guys are on a stage there's two screens with excels and they're like doing like cell formatting and like all these things and like people are cheering and there's like a winner and a loser. So like, I, I have to take that out of my, out of my analogies now because somebody will call me on it.
0: (laughs) Fascinating. Right. There's there's something for everyone, but I mean, I guess it's true. Right. You get a good, like you get a calculation, right. On a freaking, you know, spreadsheet, you're trying to analyze pipeline or something. You're like, yes. I, mean, I think that's just, I thought that was just me because I'm terrible at Excel. But. Same,
1: same. I I'm, I'm am I was watching what these guys were doing. I'm like, this is wild. I, I feel like I'd be better at sales if I was better at Excel sometimes. <laughs> uh, so um, the final question, Katie, uh, that we ask every guest is people always ask me, you know, JR, why do you focus on athletes and veterans? And And the way I explain is like, because athletes and veterans understand what it means to be dialed in, right? And and when I, in my career, whenever I talked about like a really good salesperson or a really good sales leader, that's how I would describe them. I'd be like, oh, they're dialed in. So if if you were to describe, you know, what does it mean to be dialed in as a sales professional for you?
0: Yeah, I think to be dialed in to me would be, I mean, I like quotes, but like where preparation meets opportunity, like that's someone who's dialed in. They've done the necessary preparation. They've gone and gotten themselves to a particular place. And now they're maximizing on the opportunity. And I think you can interpret that in a bunch of different ways. But at the end of the day, they're taking advantage of the opportunity of a good prospect on the phone, or they're taking opportunity of a chance that they've been given in a new territory, or they have taken the opportunity of just maximizing their time because they have a little bit more of an open calendar, like whatever that means, but the preparation meeting opportunity piece is where I feel like reps get really dialed in and can be really effective in my experience.
1: I love it. I love it. It's, For for some reason, I I feel like every time we ask this question, it's always a P word that people say. Like people talk about purpose, people talk about pursuit of goals, passion for excellence. Now we're gonna add preparation into that, into that fold. So I love that. Add it
0: to the list.
1: (laughs) Katie, thank you so much for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. It's gonna be a hashtag required listening episode. Thank you.
0: Oh. Great. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I really do think what y'all are doing is just awesome. And when I spoke to your team for the first time, um, you know, wanted to connect them with anyone I knew. So I think it's just really exciting. Athletes and veterans are a great group. And the foundations that I saw that y'all prepare your candidates with and the people who work with you, to me as a sales leader, I wish I had open spots on my team. Like, I truly think that that foundational skill set Is leaps and bounds above where I feel like some organizations are even willing to invest in their in their team. So uh, it's just great what you guys are doing and how you're preparing them and the tools that you've chosen to equip them with. I think is awesome. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.